This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. If you had asked anybody, literally anybody in the province of Ontario six months ago, who was going to lose the next provincial election? Well, unless you were asking Kathleen Wynne or her immediate family, they all would have said Kathleen Wynne as one of the two leaders that was going to lose. Two of them have to lose. Kathleen Wynne, six months ago, was dead and buried and politically gone and had no chance. Her support was down around, I don't know, 15%, something like that. I mean, it was just, it was gone. This is the leader of an unpopular party that has made many unpopular decisions that has cost people a lot of money, that's driven up hydro rates, that's on and on and on and on. You know all the stuff. And yet, if you look at the poll numbers today, and we are still months and months and months away from the election actually happening, Kathleen Wynne is actually within range of, ready for this? If you don't like her, you might want to sit down. Kathleen Wynne is within range of potentially winning this election again, and I think it's a fair question to say, what is going on and how? How could someone who is this unpopular and has been the author or involved in this many unpopular decisions still be in the game? Well, every once in a while, I like to get Bill Kelly on here because every morning he interviews people and he does a terrific job. He's the best in the city. He's the best radio broadcaster in this city, bar none. But he doesn't always get to just share his opinions. He's asking people stuff. So I like to bring him on every once in a while because he has a lot of stuff to actually say that he keeps bottled up. He's, he's just a, he's a bottle of ideas that sometime need to just get out. So we bring him on here and he joins you now. Bill, how are you tonight? I'm doing great, Scott. I, I got to tell you, just a quick aside, as soon as you started the segment here and the, the dogs came running downstairs. Of course. Uh, because, just, just because I said, oh, Bill's talking to Scott. We got to, every time Scott's on Bill's show, <laughs> I hear her there. So yeah, okay, guys, just be quiet, okay? <laughs> They're a captive audience. They listen to your show every night, so they're a captive audience. They are. Um, do they ever call for the quiz question? The, yeah, but they usually get it right, too. But, you know, <laughs> they, they have problems dialing. <laughs> We're working yeah, on that. Some other people do, too. And, and, a f- <laughs> and a few people have a trouble getting Will separated from Liz or Lisa, but, you know, that's. Um, I feel badly for Will for that thing. All right. So it was not that long ago, and you have done shows on this. You've talked to people. It was six months ago. You, I'm sure you were doing shows on the oh, yeah. o- political obituary of Kathleen Wynne. There was no chance that she was going to even, the party wasn't even going to be standing. She was going to be the Kim Campbell of provincial politics, that the party was going to be obliterated when she was done. How is she back in this thing? Well, there are a couple of things. I mean, yeah, we have talked about it on the show, and, and quite frankly, I got some feedback from some people says, oh, there you go, you're supporting the I said, I don't have any skin in this game. I'm not supporting anybody. I'm just telling you that, look at, uh, let's, let's look at political history here in this province, okay? Uh, because of some unpopular decisions, uh, then con- progressive conservative leader John Tory was supposed to kick Dalton McGinney's butt. Didn't happen. Uh, then, of course, you know, John left, and I, I, I like John. John and I were pretty good friends. He was on the show. And I, uh, then, of course, Tim Hudak comes on. Tim's going to beat Dalton McGinney. Didn't happen. Tim's supposed to beat Kathleen Wynne. Didn't happen. And now, of course, they say, well, Patrick Brown's going to come on and do this. Well, and at, at, for a period of time there, he had such a big lead in the polls right now. It was like Secretariat running the Preakness. <laughs> and everybody thought, well, this is over. But politics is, is such a strange game, Scott. And the fact is, is that 
it, it depends. It's, it's a regional game, and there's also two things you have to separate here, okay? And we keep talking about Kathleen Wynne, but what we're not talking about much here is the liberal brand and liberal policies, and they are two separate issues, and, and I find that to be a rather unusual anomaly here in the province of Ontario. Uh, right now, the polls I've looked at are saying that the liberals are either one or two points behind, and some polls actually ahead of the progressive conservatives. But when you look at the popularity of the three main leaders, Kathleen Wynne's still running third, and that's rather unusual. They don't like her, but they seem to like what the liberal government is doing. Or, well, do they, or do they really not just think much of Patrick Brown or of well, uh, Andrea Horvath? too, isn't it? But, but look at what's going on here, and, and I'm, I'm just, I'm looking at this subjectively, okay? And objectively, I, I, I'm looking at this as, uh, as, here's the record, subjectively I'm looking at it and saying, I, I, I don't care who wins this thing, but let's be clear about the facts here, Okay. Uh, yeah, hydro rates were sky high, but you know what? They did something about it, and lots of people's hydro bills have gone down. Now, you can argue that the way they did it stinks, uh, but you know something? Most people don't care. They just look at that bottom number on the bill and say, well, gee, it's better than it was six months ago. Uh, free tuition for a lot of kids in university right now. Gee, a lot of kids like that. A lot of parents like that. So they're, they're directing policies that are affecting people. Transit, big thing. Hey, Hamilton, you got a billion-dollar LRT system. It's not going to cost you a nickel. Well, city council could still screw that up. But and same thing with Mississauga. The same thing with Toronto, Ottawa, LRT systems, transit systems. Here's money for buses. They're doing things that are resonating with people and saying, "Yeah, that's a good idea." How how they're doing it is another argument. How they're paying for it is still another argument. But the fact is, people are hearing this stuff and thinking, "Yeah, that's good." And in the meantime. They're saying, oh, hey, Patrick, uh, what do you got? And not a whole lot coming from Patrick. Well, people clearly... Patrick, I, I, Patrick, I think, Scott, looked at the numbers six months, a year ago, and said, all I have to do is go out there and say, I'm not Kathleen Wynne. And that seemed to be their policy, and that seemed to be their strategy. And it's not working, because people right now are saying, well, okay, where's the meat on the bones here? There isn't any from the Conservative Party, and... And God bless Andrea and the NDP, but I mean they traditionally run seven, you know, third place, about seventeen or eighteen percent, and there's not a whole lot there that resonates with the province. So people are saying, okay, we have to make some choices here. Yeah, you know what, their track record stinks, but you know what, they're doing some stuff now that we kind of like. Well, so people I'm, I'm love. Not saying they're going to win this thing, but I'm saying don't, don't. Don't count them anybody out at this stage. People love, clearly, even if we think people are smarter than this, necessarily, people love free stuff. And that is, that, in well, this election... Scott, remember, remember, you were just a kid when this happened back in the mid-90s. But Mike yeah. Harris became premier. And remember, he said, you know what, we need to give taxpayers a break. Every taxpayer got uh, was paying provincial tax got a $200 check from the government. And we thought, what a great guy. Mike, you're the best. They borrowed the money to do that. They, they didn't, that didn't come from it. They borrowed the money to give everybody a $200 check. That's stupid, stupid politics. But you got a $200 check in the mail, you're a happy camper. And, and the same thing seems to be happening here. They like the policies. You know, and I know that the, the experts and the, and the people that, that look at this thing and analyze these things just say, whoa, whoa, whoa this is going to cost us more later. They, people don't care much about that. You know, they're saying, well, okay, you reduce the hydro rates, but you know what's going to cost us more later. But you know what, Scott, if, if your mortgage is high and the bank comes along and says, you know what, we're going to make you extend the payments over 56 months instead of 48. Wow, this is great. I don't have to pay as much. You don't care about the 56 months. You just care that your monthly payment's lower. 
And, and it's, it's, it may not be the best strategy, it may not be the smartest strategy, but it seems to be resonating with people. I'm not saying it's going to be the winner for them, but it is having an impact. Look at the way things have gone in the polls in the last six months. These guys were, as you said, dead in the water around Christmas time, and now they're in some polls competitive, and other polls they're ahead. Here's the funny thing about what you were just talking about with all these policies that they've promised free tuition and they've promised increased minimum wage and they've put off the hydro extensions to the, the, the increases to later, all the rest. When all these things were happening, I'm looking at this going, you know, these are great policies for a liberal party that believes perhaps that it's about to get blasted in the election. And we're going to set a bunch of landmines for whoever gets into office next. And they're going to have a huge problem. We're going to look pretty good by comparison because when, let's say, the Tories get in and now hydro rates go way up and minimum wage, everyone's screaming and blah, blah, blah. Well, we're not going to have to, people will forget that it was us. They're going to have to deal with that stuff. Well, if the liberals win this and if they do pull a revitalization and get right back up, they actually are going to have to deal with some of the stuff, the traps that they've laid for for the other party that suddenly now they're going to be dancing around. No, exactly. But, but uh, I go back to my initial point, though, Scott. People don't look at long-term things. All right? When you get your, your MasterCard or your Visa bill, a lot of the time you don't look at that lot, the big number because that scares the crap out of you. You look at the monthly payment and says, going to handle this, okay? Uh, and look at other governments have been guilty of this, too. I mean, you know, Stephen Harper, when he came into office, you know, he, first of all, they had, we had 12 years of, of, of surplus governments. Within a year, of course, we were back into deficit. But then Stephen Harper says, you know what, I'm going to give you guys a break. I'm going to lower the GST. I'm going to pay, you're going to pay less tax. Isn't that wonderful? And, and people say, that's great, because that, that impacts my bottom line. I don't have to pay as much anymore. He also increased the national debt. It was the, when Stephen Harper was in office, the national debt for the country was the highest it's been in the history of this country. But you know what? Nobody cared. They don't care, because that's a big number. They don't look at that number. They just say, how is this impacting on me every month? And the impact was positive, so they're saying, hey, he's my guy. So it, it's, 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 it's us, you, me, the voters in Ontario and Canada that, that are looking at this and saying, governments really are, they're not pulling the wool over our eyes, but they're, they're playing to our, our basis instincts right now is to say, can I, can I afford this? And if the answer is, yeah, they just made it more affordable, you don't care about the long term. But shouldn't... Because, you know, that's, that's something that's going to happen later. Bill, though, shouldn't we... And maybe, I, maybe I'm being sure very naive. Sure, we care about it, but we don't. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe I'm being very naive, but the fact that if whoever offers the most free stuff, and I say free with quotes, because we do have to pay for all this oh, stuff sure down you, the road, yeah. but it seems the government that offers the most free stuff is always the most popular, and... It just seems to me baffling that so many people don't even think through the fact that nothing is free. Well, it's free to me, so as as long as I'm getting stuff, then hey, let's go. That that always amazes me. That always amazes me that people will still use the word free when they're talking about anything the government is giving them. Well, the biggest the biggest example of that is healthcare. Of course, we think we have a free healthcare system, and we don't, and that's costing us an awful lot of money too. So it's, it's a bit of a shell game. But you know something? In fairness, every government does it. Every yep. political party yep. does it. 100%. And, and, and you know what? Shame on us because we fall for it as taxpayers. And I'm not just blaming Kathleen Wynne because every government that's in office has done this. And it's, it's, it's manipulation. And, and you're absolutely right. What we should be doing is saying, whoa, whoa, wait a second. How's this going to impact us in five or six or ten years? Uh, but the bottom line is, we don't really care because well, we're yeah. about to hear it now. And, if, and also, if, where if was this five years ago? You've got, you've got 
you know, if you've got a, a son or daughter that's heading into university, and all of a sudden the government says, you know what, you don't have to pay for the tuition. Whoa, that's your new best friend. You know, that, that was going to cost us like seven or eight thousand bucks. Now all of a sudden it's not going to cost us anything. You're a happy camper. And if your hydro bill has gone down a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks, you don't care that you're going to have to pay for that ten or fifteen years from now. Uh, it, you know, because you figure that ah, who? It's like when you pay your mortgage. You know, look at that big number, how much you still on the host. Ooh, it scares the crap out of you, right? But you, you say, I can afford the monthly payment, so it's a good deal. And that's how governments of all stripes, federal, provincial, everywhere else, operate right now. And, 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 and we, I don't want to say we fall for it, but we're comfortable with that because they're, they're working on the same premise that you and I are as, as people that are raising families and paying mortgages and paying bills. Are the monthly payments affordable? Yeah, they are. Well, okay, then we're happy campers. And and the hydro thing is a big issue, and it may still rear its ugly head again once the weather gets cold again and things going up. And they've still got... Uh, I, 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 listen, I've been very critical of a lot of the liberal policies. I still think the, there's an odd law about the green energy plan that I find bothersome. I think they're spending way too much money on things like wind power and things. But but And, and they need to do something about that. But at the same token, it's what happens when you open that bill. When you go to the mailbox and you open that bill, is it affordable? Yeah, then okay, my life's not so bad. It and, is, and that's the reality. It is the reality. No, I don't care whether it's Kathleen Wynne or Patrick Brown or, or Andrea Horvath or anybody else who's in office. That's, that's what they look at. Because you know the party strategist, Scott, in every party, federal and provincial, are looking at the same thing and saying, how can we make people happy with what their lot in life is right now? You know what I would do if I was running as a party leader? Honestly, what I would do right now? I would, pro- I would make such outrageous, outlandish promises with no intention of ever keeping them. Everybody, we're sending a $5,000 check to everybody. Everyone's hydro is dropping by half. And as soon as you get into office... You say, oh, I'm sorry, we can't do any of that stuff. But a year before the election, start throwing that stuff at them because this is the this is the pattern every time, and we fall for it. Every time we fall for it. It's, oh, it, sure it's amazing. I mean, you know, Lie through your teeth. Lie you know, we're going to reduce this tax. We're going to reduce that tax. Listen, we, we as voters, I, I think we have the best of intentions, okay? I mean, we're not, we're not dumb. I mean, I, I don't want, because I see that stuff on social media. Oh, you vote for that party, you're dumb. No, you're not. You're looking for a break. All right, we're all looking for a break in life. We're all trying to put our yep. kids in school. We're trying to do something. We're trying to pay the mortgages off. And, and if we're lucky, we can put a few bucks away for retirement. You're looking for a government that will help to give you a break. And governments know that message, and they hear that message. So they, they try to, to, to manipulate the numbers to try to make us get a break. Now, and we don't care about the long-term benefit on that. We're looking for the short term. And we all fall for it. And it all happens in situations like that. It does. You know, they say we're going to reduce your taxes. And then we say, whoa, hey, that's great. Thanks for reducing my taxes, uh, Prime Minister or Premier. Uh, and then we turn around and say, well, where's the money for health care? Where's the money for, well, you wanted a re- reduction in your taxes. <laughs> you can't expect it. Okay. And, but this is, that's the North American mentality. We Bill- demand, Scott, we demand every politician, whether it's your councillor, your mayor, your MPP, your Premier, your Prime Minister, we demand lower our taxes. And then we, the first ones to jump up and down say, where are all the services we want? Yeah. Out of, we're, sadly, I'd love to keep going. I'm right out of oh, time. Will, that's okay. Will is flapping his arms at me now <laughs> saying, get out. Bill Kelly, you can hear him tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. I'm sure he'll either be talking about this or something even more interesting. Bill, thanks for doing this. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much, guys. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML.
couple years ago, my next guest created a statue that was called Homeless Jesus that depicts Jesus lying covered in a blanket on a park bench. It's, it's life-size. And it is now sitting at the corner of Victoria and King in Hamilton. It is so realistic, and I mentioned this at the top of the show, it is so realistic that during exceptionally cold stretches of the winter over the last couple of years since it was installed, there have actually been calls to paramedics by people who believed that it was a person in distress who was trying to stay warm under a thin little blanket on a really, really cold day. This is a, this is an amazing piece of art. I suppose that the fact that people were concerned enough to call paramedics kind of validates the piece altogether. We'll talk about that in a second, but it, it does. Well, now another piece has been presented out in Hamilton. Uh, it's by St. Joseph's Hospital. It is called, When I Was Sick, You Visited Me. It also depicts a person lying down, this one on a bed, with a hand reaching out as if seeking help. I, I, I believe that's what the hand is supposed to be suggesting. Timothy Schmaltz is the artist. He's a sculptor. He's from Kitchener. Um, he joins me now. Timothy, how are you tonight? Very good. How are you doing? I'm Listen, I'm doing very, very well. You've heard those stories that people thought your stuff was so realistic they've actually called for help, right? Yes, I did. It's, uh, <laughs> That's <laughs> it, amazing. Uh, actually suggests that uh, the kindness and, and concern of people when that incident happened in Hamilton... And uh, that's uh, that's what the sculptures are there to do is to to encourage uh, uh, concern and and care for our our fellow people. Well, it, it, yeah, you're right. It validated, I guess, what you were trying to achieve, but it also suggested you did a pretty darn good job. Yeah, well, actually, because it's a, a figure sleeping on a park bench, it's it's easier than if I would have done a tennis player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I already have quite a bit going for me because uh, sleeping people don't really move nor do uh, sculptures. So, but uh, yeah, it's it's uh, an amazing journey these sculptures, and I'm so happy to have the second cast installed in in uh, your city in Hamilton. There. Well, I, you know, I was thinking that it's it's unusual, maybe ironic, I don't know, timely that you would come on because um, sculptures apparently are a little controversial these days. No, you can't you can't put a sculpture out in public. At least if you do, it better be the right kind of sculpture. Yeah, I, I tell you, I've been listening to the news in my studio about uh, uh, what's happening in the United States, and and from a sculptor's perspective. Um, I'm kind of sad that uh, pieces of art are, are being removed, but then uh, you have to be sensitive about um, the concerns of, of the people. And, and I think that, that what's happening in the United States really shows or, or, or presents, uh, I think, the truth that, that, that sculpture and artwork is powerful. It is, uh, it is uh, a, a, a material or a medium that, uh, that really can create a statement. And it's, it's almost like if something is, is, is uh, uh, cast in bronze, a sculpture is made, it legitimizes it. Uh, mm. I think one of the greatest compliments you can get is uh, someone doing a portrait of you. Um, and so it's interesting how uh, what's happening in the United States with the destruction and, and removal of some of these pieces. Uh, to me, um, my sculptures are kind of the, the, the complete contrast to those political sculptures mine are really essentially about spirituality 
and within the, the, the matrix of spirituality, uh, presenting the idea that all human life is sacred. Would you and, see yours as controversial at all? Because some people might. I mean, I, I don't know how, but some people might see what you do as controversial. Yes, they do. And it's interesting. And I think it's, uh, I've had people um, uh, very upset over a couple of my representations of Jesus. Um, but what I'd like to say is, my, although my sculptures might be shocking, they're only as shocking as, as the Bible is, uh, because what I what I like to do with my my artwork is is uh, almost uh, I, I call myself a, a visual translator of some of the ideas of the gospel, and and some of the ideas of of the Bible are really really shocking. We're used to thinking of. of of uh, religion, Christianity as a comfort. When we, we need something to comfort us, we turn to the church. Uh, but what I find is, and what, what my sculptures present, which is very rarely ever presented in, in artwork, is that it is a challenge, and it, it, is, uh, it is something that is shocking. Um, but the Bible asks us, and, and, and uh, Christianity asks us to do almost the impossible. It asks us to be better than we are uh to see to see the, the 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 sacredness of all human beings is not an easy task and to constantly uh be in that mind frame um that's some of the ideas that christianity shows us that i'm trying to show through my artwork right so this this latest piece and it's set up outside saint joe's hospital um what was the inspiration for this i mean i'm assuming it comes from that same place but what was the inspiration yeah, well, um, I've been for around five years looking at some of the hardcore ideas on the Bible that never before in uh, sculpture and artwork have been represented. And it's like, wow, this is a total blind spot. And if you're a Christian or if you want to investigate, it's Matthew 25 specifically that all these sculptures represent. And I think it's one of the most powerful ideas of in Christianity when Jesus basically says, um, uh, basically, he presents that whenever you have uh, helped uh, the sick, uh, visited the people in prison, uh, fed the hungry, uh, sheltered the, uh, uh, the stranger, etc., you've done that to me. And the way he phrases it is kind of uh, uh, very, igna- ign- I'm sorry, very uh, mysterious in a sense, where he, uh, uh, at only at the last part does he reveal that uh, that he has been helped when other marginalized people have been helped. Uh, the people uh, respond to him and say, "When did we see you hungry? When did we when did we uh, see you in prison? Or when did we help you when you were in prison?" He said, "When you've done this to the least of my hmm. people, you've done it to me." And so it's like the punch of of the statement, and it really is is something that. Uh, I've never really seen an artwork. So for the last five years or so, I've been working on on visually translating this, uh, starting principally with the homeless Jesus. And it's almost like theater. You come up to it, ideally, and it happens sometimes, you think it's a real person. And then you get closer to it, you realize it's a sculpture, and then you see the, uh, the, the wounds on the, on the feet or the hands, and then you realize it's Jesus. So it's kind of a, a, an unfolding to see who it is, just like uh, in the Bible, how uh, he reveals to us that uh, whenever you help uh, the marginalized people, you are helping him, and it's very direct, right? 
Um, and it's interesting because uh, uh, the sculptures, all of the sculptures, including the latest one, have been uh, initially installed in Rome. Um, the, uh, the piece, When I Was Sick, uh, has been installed at the oldest hospital in Rome. And so that is so cool because uh, it's the place in the Western culture, it's Central Spiritual Hospital, where it was first acknowledged that helping sick people and helping people is a very spiritual thing. And it's actually the first hospital in, in Rome, if you can imagine how old it is, right? Mm. And uh, it's fascinating because at that time, hospitals, all hospitals were 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 Christian. They're, they're, these are the people that built hospitals, had the idea of hospitals, right? And uh, so it was almost like, like it was considered a spiritual place, just like a church was, but more uh, functional in a, in a physical way. And so having the first cast, the second cast is in Hamilton. I am so happy about that. And the piece, very similar to The Homeless Jesus, it's not a homeless person sleeping on a park bench. What it is is it's a... Uh, a person lying on a, a bed, reaching out, and obviously in some sort of pain, with his one hand covering his his face and his, around his forehead, and in his other hand reaching out from his his bed and from his blankets to the to the passerby. And the idea is, is coherent with the whole series, where you don't really know it's Jesus until you look very closely and you can see the, the wound in his hand that's reaching out. And so the idea is to take that idea uh, that uh, it's our spiritual duty to help the sick and visit them. And it's interesting because people usually get, you know, to feed the hungry, um, but uh, to visit someone and, and take care of someone that's, that's ill is considered just as important. It's basically on the same, uh, same wavelength as, as, uh, as helping people in any other way, right? And so, yeah, you, so. You've, had, you've had pieces, and you talk about Rome. Um, you, you have pieces all over the world, in Spain and Rome and Israel and the Dominican Republic, throughout the states, in the Vatican City. But my understanding is you, because, I mean, I was asking you whether it's ever controversial, whether you actually get any negative feedback. You've had pieces vetoed that places don't want this, correct? Yeah, I think one of the most disheartening uh, uh, incidents was the homeless Jesus in Paris, right in the center of Paris. I'm not going to tell you the the place, but it was as center center of in Paris as you could possibly imagine. Everything was going great, and uh, then I got this tragic email that basically said that we at our last meeting, at the last meeting, we uh, rejected the homeless Jesus. The reason was is because this is a high-density area in the center of Paris, and by having that piece at their church, they thought it might give people the wrong impression that you can, if you're homeless, you can come and sleep near the church, right? And I thought, oh, what are you going to do? Take the Bible and a black Sharpie and eliminate the things that aren't comfortable for you? So it's, I do understand the people that reject it because it's hard, right? It's a, it's a hard thing to, uh, to accept in a sense. And it's, uh, the Westminster Council in London, England, everything was approved uh, for having the peace right in the center of London, the Westminster Methodist, at the Central Hall, that was a place where the first UN meetings happened. 
Uh, Winston Churchill gave most of his speeches right in front of the Westminster uh, 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 Central Hall uh, that's run by Methodists. They wanted to place the sculpture because they saw it and they said, that's who we are. But they had to get uh, permission from the Westminster Council. They thought it was a go. It took a year to get the uh, rejection. And then they appealed it for another eight months and they still didn't uh, get the acceptance to place the piece there in London. And so it's, it was, it's just, it's just a, an amazing trip. Um, but even though they reject it, still to have that conversation going and to, and to bring out these issues, I think, is, is, is a good idea. But Timothy, what about not, I mean, obviously not everybody's a Christian, not everyone, you know, we have different religions. Do you get blowback? Not necessarily because of zoning re- things or whatever you're talking about, those things, but do you ever get blowback from people of different religions who see the wrong side, see this as something wrong? Because even then, I, I find it hard to believe that anybody who subscribes to a different religion would look at something, even if it is Jesus, and say, yeah, I don't really think it's a good idea to help poor people. But do, do you ever get blowback from other religions? No, no. I've I wouldn't expect that. so. I've never had that over the last uh, five years of the project where these pieces are placed. And I, I think just precisely why you said, because um, who is going to really object to the idea of that's expressed that all human life is sacred and that if we see one of the marginalized, we should actually uh, see something spiritual, right? And so I haven't got that from uh, from anyone from any other religion. I think what what a lot of the problem is um, within uh, the Christians themselves, really. And then you have the the uh, the non-religious people that uh, that just kind of attack the idea of homelessness in general, which kind of makes your heart sink when you when you when you hear some of the comments. Um, you know, there's very there's still there's little sympathy for some of these people out there, and it's just, and then also you have the Christians that say, well, you know, Jesus should help people; he shouldn't be represented as one. And I'm like, hey, I'm just the translator. Mm. Go to don't go shoot to the, the messenger. Bible, right? What what do you hope? We only have a couple minutes here, but when someone okay, someone's walking into St. Joe's Hospital now. Now, hopefully, when they're walking in. Uh, hopefully they actually notice it and take the time to stop for a second and look. I mean, not everyone's going to, but that would be ideal. What do you hope they will take from this? Because you want your art to mean something to people. What What are you hoping it's going to make them think about or do or feel or whatever else? Yeah, I, th- I think that um, uh, just like uh, the, 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 the awesome parts of the Bible that just basically... Um, that it's it's a spiritual duty to take care of our brothers and sisters, and that's you know my sculptures are only going to be as great as as the subject that I'm sculpting. That's what I always think. And so as long as I as I take some of the greatest ideas that are in our culture and in our 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 faith, and as long as I can present those, I'm I'm bound to be in my own eyes a, a success. You have actually. I mean, there's many more that you've done before, and I, I have no doubt that there will be many more you do in the future, but I, I've heard that you actually would like to see more of them around Hamilton. Is that correct? Yeah, well, it's interesting because you have in Matthew 25, um, uh, when I was hungry and thirsty, you gave me food and drink. When I was sick, uh, you visited me. And when I was in, in, when I was in prison, you visited me. 
and um, you have, when I was a stranger, you let me in. And so I created sculptures for every little uh, uh, aspect of that. I did an individual sculpture for each. And my uh, hope is to have these messages uh, installed uh, throughout cities. And so what's great is it's happening. Um, the first city to have all of them is Rome. And I thought that would be the most difficult, but uh, it was just amazing what happened there. Um, all my, the last one to be installed was When I Was Naked, You Clothed Me, which is at um, St. Uh, Peter in Chains, right near the Colosseum. And we had to get uh, federal cultural approval by the state to have it placed at the entrance because it's an ancient uh, mm. uh, uh, building in Rome. And it only took three months. And I could, I thought, as soon as they said, well, we need to have uh, the cultural department of Italy uh, you know, approve of this, I thought, okay, well, I'll see you in six years, right? Three months it was passed. So, so Rome is the first to have the whole series installed at the most historical places. The homeless Jesus is in the Vatican, which is uh, right in front of uh, the Pope's uh, uh, charities building uh, in the Vatican. So that's an amazing spot for it. Um, what other cities are coming up is uh, Toronto almost has the whole collection, and Detroit almost has the whole collection. Huh. And other cities, like I just got uh, confirmation last week that Philadelphia is um, placing uh, uh, when I was hungry and thirsty in front of their cathedral after the homeless Jesus was installed. So ideally, what, what will happen is, is these, these uh, sculptures will be installed at places around a city. Just like, I don't know if you remember the cows, I think it was cows in Toronto. Yes, it, yes. But yeah, these, slightly this, different. Yeah, but this would be <laughs> permanent and and reminders of that we gotta we gotta uh, be filled with with uh, compassion and care for our brothers and sisters, and that everyone's sacred. And you know what? I, I think that you can't have enough uh, of those reminders around. It's just like you go to church every Sunday for two thousand years. They've been preaching essentially the same thing: love your neighbor, and you know. Why is it with us that we can't hear that once, or uh, uh, love one another? Why can't we just hear that once and be done with it? Because of our nature, we got to be kept, be reminded of this, right? Timothy, we got we got to run. Unfortunately, just very quickly, uh, you do with some of your pieces. There are smaller versions. You don't have to have the full size. You've done. Are there these available for people if they wanted to buy them or look at them? And where would they find it if there was such a thing? Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, I, I do have small replicas of, of these the sculptures. You can just uh, Google my name, Timothy Schmaltz, and I'll, uh, or Homeless Jesus, and you'll, it'll probably come up uh, at the, per, you know, three, three down or so, right? All right. Well, listen, that's, uh, I really appreciate the time. Sorry we're out of time, but well, uh, nice really time. appreciate having you on. And um, I would encourage anyone if you're, well, hopefully not everyone has to go to St. Joe's Hospital in the next little while, but if you're going in, look for it. If not, go by and, and, and take a look. It's, uh, it is a thought-provoking piece for sure. Timothy, really appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Thanks a lot. Take care. Uh, I do want to point out, by the way, that um, this was, I should point out, this was a gift that the Mercanti family purchased this to place it there. Um, as a gift, I guess, to the city in honor of a family member. But it's uh, it, it's a it's an interesting idea because it's something that we don't like to do. Whether you're Christian or Jewish or Muslim or nothing, 
it's still something I think that has great value, regardless of what your religious or philosophical position is, at least as a thought-provoking piece. When you walk by and see something realistic enough that people are calling paramedics to help, I'm hoping that it would make people stop long enough to think, well, what is it actually then telling me? And I'm not a fan of all art. Listen, we started the show tonight chatting about artist conceptions of a development for Pier 8, which we some of them we like, some we don't like. I'm not a fan of all art. And maybe this doesn't move you. I don't know. But for some people, it will. And it's worth taking a look at. Uh, Timothy Schmaltz, by the way, if you're looking up his name, it's S-C-H-M-A-L-Z. And Timothy, I think you can figure out. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. As I was saying that I have not had Tang in forever. I've just, I don't know where Tang went. Apparently it still exists. Will, you you have had Tang, correct? You're a lot younger than me. But you're a Tang connoisseur of sorts? I have not. Oh, you've not. I have never had Tang. I have wondered if it still exists. And one caller... One caller says he recently saw uh, some litter of Tang here in Hamilton, so he knows that it exists. There is archaeological evidence of Tang's existence, is what he is saying. I, again, there was a time, and Will is, I'm not mocking Will, he's just too young to remember this. He's, you know, he wasn't around. It was in the 60s and early 70s. That Tang, I would, I would guess that was the time frame, as I recall. Tang was in its heyday because that was around the time of the space program and a little bit after, and Tang was the astronaut streak. We were talking about this last night. It was the quiz question. But in recent years, as I say, I've, I've not seen Tang. And last night after we did that quiz question, I got thinking, there must be a lot of, when I get my mind to thinking about it, there must be a lot of other things that I and other people ate a lot of, loved when we were younger, foods I'm talking about, that have just kind of gone, Meep. they, you know, either they fell out of fashion or the ingredients were such that they were probably killing us by eating it or, you know, I don't know, they had gluten or whatever else. I mean, times changed. There was no kale involved in them. So they decided we have to get rid of them. If, if it's got gluten and doesn't have kale, it's not real food. You really hate kale. <laughs> I do. I actually do. I hate kale and I love gluten. There was a comedian named John Panette. Unfortunately, he's died. He was hysterical. Go yeah. watch him on YouTube. And John Panette's line was basically, I don't know what gluten is, except that I know when they take it out of my food, my food tastes bad. So when I go to a restaurant, I want more gluten. Give me whatever. <laughs> just give me gluten. Because that whatever that is, that is the magic ingredient that makes things taste good. Well... So I thought there's got to be a lot of foods that we have lost over the years. And so I started looking around and now again, Will, I apologize if you don't know some of these, but many people listening will remember this. Let me start with this. Um, this was not a favorite of mine, but I certainly remember it. Beech nut gum. It didn't actually taste like nut. That was just the name of it, but it was kind of, it was like a stick of gum, like a Double bubble, uh, not uh, not uh, double uh-huh. mint, like double mint, not double bubble, like double mint or any of those other ones, spearmint gum or whatever. Beech nut gum was a big thing at one time. Haven't seen that in ages. And again, some of these, some people may want to tell me that some of the things I'm going to mention still exist. If they do, they are now hidden on the back shelves somewhere that I have not seen them and I certainly have not tasted them in a long time. Ding dongs. 
Kind of sounds rude almost, but ding-dongs were like a, what were they like? They were kind of like a cupcake that was jammed with delicious, delicious fake cream stuff. I haven't seen them. Here's one. Now, anyone who was a child of the 60s or 70s, I guarantee you can still picture on Hockey Night in Canada, the commercial where Brian Glennie, former defenseman for the Toronto Maple Leafs, master of the hip check, goes to the freezer and rips the door off the freezer in order to get his Swanson TV dinner. Where where have you gone, Swanson TV dinner? I think they may still exist. TV dinners. There are still TV dinners. Yeah, TV dinners are still a thing, but Swanson, it's just something I assumed still was around, but you're right. But the difference is, I did have a TV dinner probably 10 years ago. Now, maybe it's just the size of me that I have changed, but when I had a TV dinner when I was a kid, it was a dinner. Like, there was more than a hint of protein in there. Now you get it and it's two mouthfuls of meat and a little of mashed potatoes or whatever. And this was a meal and it was on an aluminum foil platter. You wouldn't dare put it in the microwave. You'd blow up your whole house. You had to cook it in the oven and it had apple pie and it had veggies and it had potatoes and it had turkey with gravy or whatever else. Uh, Swanson TV dinner. Don't know where that has gone. I just, I found their website. They're still making them. Well, I haven't seen one. So yeah, I have not either. Uh, Tab. Remember Tab? It was the pink can. Now, again, I think Tab may still exist. Fresca made a comeback. Fresca was one of those pops that was around and then I l- it's, Fresca's back. It's like grapefruit, right? It's a grapefruit flavored pop, I yeah, think. Yeah, it kind of. It was almost like Sprite. I loved it as a kid and that was one that a, a Apparently was not very healthy for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, uh, Tab, the pink cans that everybody wanted to have because it was apparently like the first diet cola, uh, although it pretty much, t- well, I don't know what it tasted like. It, I was not a fan of it. Anyway, um, let me keep, how about, oh, I remember this one. This one, see today, and this was, this is how tastes change. Today, I would find this thoroughly disgusting to the point of almost nauseating. Back then, cheese in a can that you could spray out of a can, almost liquefied gooey cheddar that you would onto a cracker, that was awesome. You'd have like a little rosette of some kind of cheese-ish substance. It was the, I mean, you had your whipped cream and you had your cheese and they were both in cans in the fridge and you would just... Have you ever had cheese out of a can? I have had cheese out of a can in my childhood at a friend's house. Cheese out of a can. Where has that gone? And you know, they only ever had cheddar that I know of. <laughs> like, why could you not have gotten Gouda in a can or blue cheese in a can? Blue, See, blue cheese in a can would still work. Why could you not have some sort of... We all eat blue cheese now with chicken wings or on our hamburgers or whatever else. Blue cheese in a can would probably still work. It, it probably wouldn't be very real. Uh, Fanta. Does Fanta still exist? Does Fanta Pop still exist? It does. Will is shaking his hand now. He's on the phone, but he's shaking his hand saying, yes, I haven't seen Fanta in a long time. It's like Pop Shop. Pop Shop was the place. And then it disappeared, at least it seemed to. And recently, Pop Shop is back, but only I've only seen it as far as the alcoholized one. They now have like Lime Ricky and Cream Soda Pop Shop, but it's at the liquor store. But... Uh, okay, if you were a kid, this 
you had to have. This you had to have if you were a kid for breakfast. Booberry cereal. There was Count Chocula. And there was another one, which I'm forgetting, and there was Boo Frankenberry. Berry. Frankenberry. It was Frankenberry. Frankenberry and Booberry, which was uh, blue cereal with blue marshmallows. With a little ghost with a boater's hat. That's exactly right. That's exactly what it was. I would guess that probably there wasn't much food that we could have possibly eaten that had more food coloring in it that was more likely to cause you great shock and horror a day later if you happened to look at your toilet after you went and everything was like blue colored. Oh, what's happened to me? Oh yeah, I had blueberry. Okay. Whew. Forgot about that. Oh. oh, I thought something was desperately wrong with my innards <laughs> that I just pooped blue. But yes, blueberry was uh, maybe still around. I don't know. Uh, bubble yum. Bubble yum. What happened to bubble yum? Bubble yum. Do you remember bubble yum? Sometimes it was two flavors in one. So there was a piece of gum wrapped in another piece of gum. It was a little yeah. square thing. We have Hubba Bubba has survived. Yeah. Bubble yum. I remember. I Do you know the last time you saw some bubble yum? Nope. No. No. I, it's been it's been forever because, again, Hubba Bubba sort of, it was like it survived the gum apocalypse, but bubble yum was wiped off the planet. I don't know if it still exists or not. <laughs> I'm just wondering if I ate something like that when I was a kid, but I'm just wondering how old that was. Yeah, well... That's right. It had been saved for the last 30 years for you. That's why it broke your teeth when you chewed into it. Jiffy Pop. And do you remember? Now, you, you've probably seen this in movies, but many people remember this. Jiffy Pop was a aluminum foil thing with a handle that you would hold over the stove and the popcorn would pop in it and it would expand the top. So it ended up being like a giant, it looked like a, a mini Zeppelin of popcorn. And then you would rip the top open and burn your hands because it was so hot inside when the popcorn, when the steam all released into your hands, but it was delicious. It was delicious popcorn. Here is one, and I know this does still exist, but you have to look for it a little bit. Although I believe it's made a bit of a comeback because it definitely went away for a while. But in our family, we only got this once a year, only at the cottage. And when the one pack was gone, we didn't get to replay. We got one pack. And so my sister and I, basically, it almost came to fist fights for the cereal you could eat right in the box. The little mini boxes of cereal that you cut. Yes. You cut like a letter I. You did an autopsy on the box <laughs> like you were cutting and doing an autopsy on a person. You would open it up and you would pour the milk right into the wax paper liner. And it was a battle to the death for the Frosted Flakes or the Fruit Loops. Ooh, yeah. Because the last yeah. thing you want to be left with is the brand Flakes. <laughs> if you're a kid, if you're eight years old or 10 years old and you end up getting left with the brand Flakes, that's a fate worse than death. It really is. Or even worse, what are the ones called the, the um, like they're the super brand Flakes. They're like the little lines of brand, the super... Uh. I remember like, it's like Saturday Night Live when they did the super colon blow. Yes. That's, yes. that's what the stuff is like. It's yeah. the, 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 the brand, like have your insides explode cereal. I can't remember what that's called, but I, those still exist. It wasn't shredded. No, 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 no. These are like dark and they're tiny little pieces and, and they're, <laughs> if you ever see a person walking through the grocery store buying a box of that stuff, wish them good luck. Like send their, your best regards to them because they are, they are going to be in deep, deep trouble. We hope about they know. 24 hours later. <laughs> uh, what else do we have on this list here? Uh, as I go through it. Can I throw one in? Yes, Scott? please. 
bubble tape. That yeah. Oh well, I remember fruit tape. Yeah. Oh, that was good too. Yeah, that's gone. I don't know where that is. But uh, for me, it was hubba bubba bubble tape, and it came. You had it rolled up, and you had like you're supposed to make it last in its little package because you just pull out a strip and bite it down. Of course, you shove the whole thing in your mouth. Disappeared. I went out to the west coast and I found it in Vancouver. Now it's back this year. See, this is the thing: is a lot. There, there obviously is a lot of. There are a lot of people who are looking for a return to their youth because another one that I remember that was I loved it was the um it was the, what was it the baseball gum the it was like uh, big league chew. And then it went away. Now it's back. You can find Big Lee Chew everywhere. Uh, Dr. Pepper gum. Dr. Pepper used to have gum. Did you know that? They no, did. They did. I didn't. Uh, Dr. Pepper used to have gum. Let me go through here quickly. What else uh, uh, was on this list? Uh, oh, New Coke. That's a whole other story. New Coke was um, was maybe the worst thing. Mr. Pibb. Mr. Pibb was a pop that, I don't know whatever happened to Mr. Pibb. It was a Coke product. It was supposed to be a competitor to Dr. Pepper. Uh, apparently the doctor saved himself and killed off Mr. Pibb. Uh, magic middles, Keebler magic middles. They were shortbread cookies with chocolate filling, which is just about the most awesome thing ever. And why they ever discontinued those. I mean, I don't know what the ingredients were. It like, literally it might've had asbestos in them <laughs> for all I know. They may have had to stop. I don't know, but that would seem to be one that we would want to keep going. Oh, a personal it. favorite. Okay which you would not remember, but many listeners will remember this. For a brief time, Heinz had easy squirt ketchup in a variety of different colors. So you could buy purple ketchup. Yes. Or green ketchup or orange ketchup, but the purple one especially, when you would put purple ketchup on your French fries, it honestly looked like (laughs) an alien had landed and you had blown him apart and he exploded onto your plate and that was all of his purple alien guts. Those are fond ketchup memories. Every kid loved purple ketchup when they could get it. Uh, Every adult was thoroughly, completely, entirely disgusted by the idea of purple ketchup. Uh, Very quickly, because we're starting on dweebs, which were a little candy that were... Here's one. I'll, I'll leave dweebs alone. Everybody of my age had this one because this was the thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm way past. I got so many that I wanted to, to get to. Rick says, by the way, puffed wheat was his staple breakfast. Gator gum. Gatorade came out, created at the University of Florida for the Florida Gators by the scientists. Then they came out with Gator Gum. And Gator Gum was the gum that quenched your thirst. And we believed it. If you would run and chew Gator Gum, it would quench your thirst. It was a great marketing campaign. I don't think it ever worked. Uh, McDonald's Pizza. Eh, remember when McDonald's put pizza ovens in every single pizza outlet? Uh, let me see if I can find one more good one here that, uh, that uh, okay, we'll go with this one. This is the last one we can go with because we're out of time. Crystal Pepsi. Do you remember Crystal Pepsi? Yes, they brought that back, didn't they? Did they? A little bit. Yeah, it was uh, clear... Pepsi that was supposed to taste like Pepsi and look like 7-Up and so many, so many of these wonders. And I've got like a hundred more that I couldn't get to tonight. Maybe another day we'll do more of these things. So many. Rick points out, by the way, with puffed wheat, no taste, no nutrition, no good, but that was what they ate every morning. I, we had those too. And it was only when my mom would turn around that we could sneak a little sugar onto there and maybe uh, make it edible. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900, AM 900, CHML.